hope you keep, keep your Bibles open to Luke chapter 1. So we continue uh, our Advent series looking at a number of uh, Christmas narratives, uh, birth narratives in Luke, and also seeing how the Old Testament uh, plays into these accounts as well. There was a day when my... Uh, when I was a younger person that I, I used to play tennis. I ran half marathons. I was a little more active in my younger days. I still row, but that's, you're not moving. I mean, you're in a boat, that's true, but. Uh. So my new sport, reincarnate is ping pong. And I've been playing with uh, someone in the church. In fact, I'd like to hear from more of you who play ping pong. I'd like you to tell me because we'd like to have a ping pong tournament at the church sometime. But. And uh, when I first started playing ping pong a couple of weeks ago, I was getting routinely beaten. I'd usually play four or five games and I lost four or five games. I didn't really like it too much. Um, I don't want to say the name of the person, certainly not the full name, but his name is Jerry. I don't know if he's here this morning. Jerry, are you here? Yes, he, he's not here because he's in a fetal position. He's been that way since Thursday night. Because on Thursday night, for the very first time, I won the best of seven games, four to two. Now, I tried to be very pastoral about it. I said, wow, I was, you know, and, you know, I tried to be, you know, Chris, it's a Christmas miracle. Inside, I was so happy. I got into my car, and when he shut the door to his house, I screamed, yeah, I took him down. You know, it's crazy. It's ping pong. And for a few minutes, I felt better about this broken world. I did. But it didn't last too long. That's my concern for us. Here we are in the process of celebrating the most incredible redemptive act of God. Coming all the way out of heaven, putting on a human body, lived the life we should have lived, died the death that we deserved to rescue us from our bondage to sin. And frankly, my concern is we're kind of like, huh. Eh, Sometimes I don't even like to preach on Christmas because I feel like I say, Jesus was born, it's incredible. And everybody's like, yeah, duh. You had to go to seminary to learn that? And of course, I know people in my life, believers, I'm, I'm not trying to criticize anyone, but Christmas is so busy. I've heard people say, I can't wait till Christmas is over. In our busyness, we've lost sight of what's happened. We... We're not thrilled by it. We're not gripped by it. And I know as a child, it was a very complicated time because Christmas morning was the day you got a lot of stuff. It was supposed to remind you of the greatest gift of all, but I mean, I, that, that connection got lost on me sometimes. I'm ashamed to admit it, but I tossed presents aside when I was six, seven, eight years old because they weren't big enough. 
And yet the reality is, the Advent, Christmas, rightly understood, should cause us to worship exuberantly this great God who has redeemed us. It should grip our hearts, not simply Christmas season, but every day of the year. So what I want us to look at, um, we need another $50 for the end of the year. So it's 785,050 bucks. I'm gonna try to preach like this. We can't afford any of that again. What I wanna share with you is a Christmas story. Sometimes doesn't always get a lot of attention. And then I want us to look at how we can learn to celebrate Christmas in a deeper way. The story starts with a, a man named Zechariah. He was a priest. This is near the time of, of the birth of Jesus. Jesus hasn't been born yet. Zechariah is a priest. His wife Anna comes from the lineage of Aaron, so she comes from a priest family as well. They are described in Luke 1, which you can read uh, later this afternoon. You, 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 could, you, could, uh, you could say that they were godly people. Seeking God, righteous, the text tells us. And Zechariah was part of the, 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 the priestly order, and it was his division who was uh, serving in the temple, helping the people worship God together. And he drew by a lot that he was the priest who was going to be able to burn the incense, which was a high honor. And while he's burning incense, an angel appears before him and tells him, you're going to have a son. And that is news to him because Zechariah and his wife uh, Elizabeth are, are too old to have children. The angel goes on to say some other startling things that this son that you are going to be given is, is, is mapped onto the forerunner of the Messiah from Malachi. And Zechariah is, 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 is he's scared at first, the text tells us. He's also flummoxed by this news. And he says, I don't understand how this can be. And... The angel Gabriel says, well, because of your unbelief, you're not going to be able to speak until the child comes. He comes out of the temple. People know that something is wrong. He can't speak. He's trying to sort of with hand motions probably describe what had happened. The angel had also told him the name of his son will be John. And so for the next nine months or so, Zechariah, this priest, this godly priest, cannot speak because of his unbelief when the angel told him the news. It's interesting when, when, when the baby is finally born, when Elizabeth gives birth to John, which would be John the Baptist, um, it, 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 there, there's, there's a discussion about what are you going to name the child? The friends and family think, oh, you're going to name it Zechariah because of the father. But uh, Elizabeth says, no, his name is John. And then they try to talk to, to, to uh, Zechariah. And, and it says that they had to use sort of drawings or writing to try to communicate with him, which may mean he not only couldn't speak, he couldn't hear for over nine months. 
He does let them know his name should be John, and then all of a sudden he can speak. Now, you know, part of me says the only way we're ever going to get back to really understand Christmas is we need to stop talking and stop hearing people for the next nine months and we'll get it straight next Christmas. That's not quite, I think, what the text has in mind. But, but Zacharias had a lot of time to think, a lot of time to study, to review what the angel had told him about his son, John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Messiah. And now when the baby has been born and they're, uh, they're, 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 they bring him to the temple on the eighth day, uh, this actually could have happened in their house where he, he, he's undergone circumcision. He says the name is John. Now Zechariah is able to speak. And what he does in this incredible, it's like a song or a prophecy, an exaltation of God, Zechariah is going to give us more than this, but we're going to narrow it down this morning. He's going to help us understand Christmas in three different ways. And that's what we need to grab a hold of. So we pick it up in verse 67. Let's look at the first meaning of Christmas according to Zechariah. Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. What Zechariah, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, now that his son is going to be the forerunner of the Messiah, he basically says that what is happening here, what the birth of Jesus means, what the first Christmas was all about, is that Christmas brings freedom from our bondage to sin. Christmas brings freedom from our bondage to sin. We, we see it in verse 68. For the Lord has visited us and he has redeemed his people. That word redemption refers to buying someone who is enslaved, buying them out of slavery, and then giving them freedom. Clearly, Zechariah, through the Holy Spirit, and, and I guess he probably had a lot of time to think and read about the Old Testament, understood that the Messiah, this baby that, would be, that was soon to be born, that his son, Zechariah, was going to, uh, Zechariah's son was going to be the forerunner of, understood that what that Messiah was going to do was to redeem us from our bondage to sin. And I think there's two ways that Zechariah, again, prophesied by the Holy Spirit, describes this redemption. Number one, there's sort of an individual redemption that I think he refers to. The forgiveness of sins, dealing with our personal bondage to sin that every human being has to contend with. And you see this in verse 77. Again, he starts to actually go to verse 76. He's talking actually to his child, John. He said, and you, child, this is Zechariah speaking, will be called the prophet of the Most High. You, John the Baptist, will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. 
Zechariah, under the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, knows that, that his son is going to prophesy about and prepare the way for the Messiah. And this Messiah, and even the ministry of John the Baptist, will prepare people to receive the forgiveness of sins. Meaning that Jesus has come, the first Christmas, is all about freeing us from our bondage to sin. To get us out of the slavery of sin so that we are free to, to, to know God, free to worship God, free to serve God without the encumbrances of sin that, and guilt that we all incur because of our sin and rebellion against God. Is that not amazing? Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of my favorite authors, pastored in the mid-20th century, he says this. We can put it this way. The man who has faith is the man who is no longer looking at himself and no longer looking to himself. He no longer looks at anything he once was. He does not look at what he is now. He does not look even look at what he hopes to be as the result of his own efforts. He looks entirely to the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work. He rests on that alone. He, he, he has stopped saying, ah, oh, yes, I used to commit these terrible sins, but I've done this or that. He stopped saying that. If he goes on saying that, he has enough faith. Faith speaks in an entirely different manner and makes a man say, yes, I have sinned, resting on any, uh, uh, yes, I have sinned. I've sinned grievously. I've lived a life of sin, yet I know that I'm a child of God because I'm not resting on any righteousness of my own. My righteousness is in Jesus Christ, and God has put that to my account. Jesus Christ came to provide redemption, freedom from sin and the guilt of sin. And so that our redemption is completely the work of Jesus Christ. We do nothing to earn our way with God. We do nothing to get right with God. He accomplishes it himself. And that gift and that, 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 that redemption is applied to us by the power of the Holy Spirit who opens up our minds and hearts to see our sin and to see the Savior and draw us to himself. And that's what Christmas is all about, providing redemption. But there's more. It's not just individual redemption. If we go back to uh, verse 71, uh, again, Zechariah says, uh, again, speaking of this redemption, this, this visiting of God's people, then we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember the holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. And now Zechariah is going way beyond individual redemption. He's talking about we will be saved from our enemies. Now you could look at this and say, well, maybe Zechariah was thinking about Rome because Rome is in charge of Israel at this time. Well, yeah, maybe in some sense, but it seems even broader than that. So that we'll be saved from all of our enemies that we will be delivered from the hand of our enemies, from all of our enemies, from the hand of all who harm us. I think what Zechariah is saying, by the, through the Holy Spirit, is he's saying the redemption that Jesus came to provide for us individually is much grander and bigger than simply our individual freedom from bondage of sin, which is incredible. 
Let me read a text to you from 1 Corinthians 15. If you could turn just a few books over from the book of Luke. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about this. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 24. talking about delivering us from all of our enemies. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 24, he says, Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God, speaking of Jesus the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he has accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjected under him, that God may be all in all. Christmas is not simply about your individual freedom from the bondage of sin, which is amazing in and of itself. It's about freeing the entire universe from all of the things that sin does to make it almost an unlivable place. All authorities, all power structures that abuse people, all of the, the racism, all of the economic uh, sort of structures that, 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 that don't work right, that are unjust, all of the principalities and powers, everything that opposes God, in this baby being born in Bethlehem, Zechariah is saying, he's prophesying by the Spirit, everything ultimately will be redeemed by this Jesus. In the entire universe. Complete redemption, complete freedom from the very presence of sin and all of the effects of sin. Death disease, abuse, unjust systems, all of that will come down crashing because of this Jesus. So that's the first meaning of Christmas, according to Zechariah. Christmas brings freedom from our bondage to sin, not just our sin, but from the bondage that sin creates in every structure around the world. There's a second meaning, uh, second aspect of Christmas that Zechariah gets that, and that is this. This is the surprise, the surprise of this first Christmas, according to Zechariah. Christmas means that the future is completely secure. Go back to verse 68. This is amazing what Zechariah says, and he says it because of the Holy Spirit. He says, blessed be the God, Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. When he says these words, he has visited and re redeemed his people, that language is in the past tense. So Zechariah prophesied and said, because of the birth of Jesus, that, is, that hasn't happened yet. Jesus has not been born yet. Zechariah is so confident that this Jesus is going to redeem the world that he talks about it as if it has already happened. He uses the past tense to describe something that is still future. He is so confident in the promise of God that he says, 
Redemption has come. The Lord has visited us, and yet Jesus has not been born yet. You think about where God has taken Zechariah in nine months. Nine months previously, when he's in the temple, you know, when you're in the temple, you should be thinking holy thoughts. An angel comes and says, hey, guess what? You're going to have a son who's the forerunner of the Messiah. And and he's saying, I'm not sure. How's that going to happen? Well, you're not going to be able to talk or hear for the next nine months. Now, now, Zechariah has completely been transformed. And now he says, redemption has come. The Lord has visited. And yet Jesus Christ is not here yet. And this is a powerful message of Christmas, according to Zechariah. Is do you really live like that? You see, Zechariah can say this, and Jesus hasn't been born yet. We're in a lot better position than Zechariah now. We can look back to four eyewitness accounts in the gospel that if you applied any kind of historiography to the four gospels, to any other piece of ancient literature, the four gospels are wildly more attested to historical fact than any other document in ancient history. We know Jesus has come. It is still true he hasn't come back and defeated all of the effects. The full redemption of the universe has not occurred. But we know that Jesus came and yet the question is do we live and talk about this so confidently and live like it is true and talk about the future second coming as if it has already happened uh, so some of you I, I it probably I, I think I've said this before I, I'm actually a bigger soccer fan than I am a football fan I know some of you won't believe that, but it's true. And so I've taken off the month of December to watch the World Cup. It's not quite true. But But one of my teams that I really follow, because I live there, is Morocco. And I'm so excited about Morocco. But I was so nervous when they played Portugal, I couldn't watch the match. I also had to work, but I, 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 I would have taken off. And so I watched a pretty significant extended highlights of the match. But I already knew Morocco had won. So I was very calm. I didn't get upset when I saw some fouls that should have been called or fouls that, you know, you know, you know, you know, shouldn't have been called or fouls that should have been called and weren't. I didn't get upset when, when Portugal had this sort of last desperate attempt to tie the game up because what I knew Morocco had won, won to nothing. That's how we ought to be living if we really understood Christmas. If Zechariah can talk about the redemption of the universe and individual redemption before Jesus is even born, now that we know that Jesus has been born, he lived, he died, he rose again, he ascended to the right hand of the Father, we of all people should be able to live in a Zechariah Christmas mode knowing full well that the future redemption of the universe is secure and we had to live as if that's true instead of, you know, panicked. The meaning of Christmas according to Zechariah, the second meaning is that Christmas means that the future is secure and we are called to live like it. One last thing, the Christmas according to Zechariah means there's a response. 
We see it in verse 74 and 75. Zechariah says that, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. In holiness and righteousness before him all our days. In other words, if we really understood Christmas, if we really understood that Christmas was about Jesus coming and, and, and delivering us from our personal bondage to sin, but also the bondage that the universe has because of sin, if we knew that the, the future redemption was completely sure, sure that we could talk about it in the past tense like Zechariah did, if we truly understood that, we would serve the Lord without fear. I mean, think about that. That means you can read the New York Times tomorrow, as some of you will, and not freak out. Not because things aren't bad, they are. But because you know that the future redemption of the universe is so sure, you can talk about it as if it already happened. And of course he goes on to say that you would serve him in holiness and righteousness. There's a real sense here. Again, if you understand that what Jesus came to do was to deliver you from the, you being trapped and enslaved by sin. If you understand that one day you will be completely free in real time from your sin in that next world, it, 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 it's, it's, it's so obvious here, then why not get a head start and allow this Jesus to begin to change you into the person, in some sense you already are because you're redeemed, but change you into the person that you will be one day completely redeemed. You see, what this does is pursuing holiness and pursuing righteousness is not a checklist. It's simply living out who you already are and who you will definitely become. It puts a whole new meaning on, on, on sort of your discipleship because it begins with gazing at Jesus and it ends with gazing at Jesus because he's the only one that can deliver you from your sin and deliver you from the universe, deliver the universe from sin. So this is the meaning of Christmas according to Zechariah. Christmas brings freedom from our bondage to sin. The, the, the surprise of Christmas according to Zechariah is that now we can talk about the future as if it has already happened. And of course the response to Christmas according to Zechariah is we ought to be, we of all people ought to serve the Lord without fear. Pursuing righteousness and holiness not to earn our way with God but because we have already been made that in some sense, and one day we will experience what it will be like to be completely like Jesus, free from sin and all of the bondage to sin. Now, one last thing. Zechariah is an old guy when he writes this. And you can just feel the exuberance, even the translation in English, the exuberance of this thing just comes off the page. And I have to be patient because I know in the next life it's going to happen like this. But sometimes I wish church was a little more like a World Cup soccer game than it is. I, I mean this, I'm, I'm, I'm loving, okay? I, I'm, I'm, I'm like you, okay? I, I worship like this sometimes. 
Someone in the church told me the other day I was worshiping like this. Thank you, God, for everything you've given. You know, I mean, it, it, it doesn't look right. I got a real kick last night. I was looking at finding videos of where I, where I lived in Morocco. And you saw the Moroccan fans just celebrating in the streets. Fireworks going out. No barriers. Not safe. Totally joyful. That's the Morocco I knew and the Morocco I love. But I saw them exuberant. The first African team to ever make it to the semifinals. They were exuberant. And I suspect if the United States ever made it that far, and I do think we will in the year 3,285, I'm sure that if we watched and America made it further in the cup, I suspect even a few of you, the people who worship like this, would, 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 yay! And yet we sing about the redemption, the freedom that we enjoy because of Jesus who frees us from our bondage and who is going to free the entire universe. And it's so secure to happen, we can talk about it as if it already happened. And that ought to motivate us to have a lot less fear and serve the Lord in holiness, not to earn our way, but because of what we've been given by grace. And like Zechariah, we should be the most exuberant people on the planet because look what God has done for us. Look what he's done. Now, I know, I know a lot of you are introverts, so I know, I know you're never going to do this. You know, you know, for, for some of you, if you did this, this would be the most wild thing you could do in worship. <laughs> I love you. Just keep doing that. Fine. Some of you would like to raise your hands, but you're scared we're going to tackle you if you do. Just raise your hands. We don't care. I mean, we might care, but just do it. <laughs> Obviously, it's, it's not about your body position, whether you raise your hands. It's about, are we gripped by this great grace? Are we gripped by Christmas? Are we gripped by Jesus? Our redemption has come. We're free from bondage to sin for those of us who've trusted Christ alone. And we will be free ultimately from all of that in the future. And it is so secure. We can talk about it as if it already happened. So I want to pray for us. And then our music team is going to come and introduce us to a new hymn. We need to sing a new hymn. And this new hymn is great. You can listen to the music team maybe on the first verse and start to join in as you learn it. And then we're going to finish with O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It's a great hymn. Talks about the first coming of Jesus, yes. But then the last verse, some of the verses are pointing to that second coming. And again, nobody has to raise their hands, don't get me wrong, but we should be gripped that Emmanuel has come and he's coming again. But let me pray for us and let us worship as we go out. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Forgive us for our, our hearts that are not mesmerized by these truths that Zechariah prophesies about. Forgive us for the ways in which we, we allow the culture in our country at Christmas to divide our focus and to 
lure us away from looking at you. I pray that you would help us as we worship now, but as we worship throughout this week, as we live our daily life, that we would recapture Christmas according to Zechariah. That we would be people who are amazed that this Jesus has provided redemption, freedom from our slavery to sin. And he is, will provide ultimate freedom for every institution and, and, and part of the world that's been corrupted by sin. Even death itself will be defeated. And we can be so confident of this. We can speak about it as if it already happened. And Lord, if that gripped our hearts a little more consistently, a little more comprehensively, we could serve you without fear and we would pursue righteousness and holiness, not out of guilt, not out as a checklist, but we would, we would, we would pursue that because we've, we've looked at Jesus and we know he's redeemed us from all that and he will ultimately redeem us in real time. So we, we want to allow you by the power of the Holy Spirit to begin to make us who we already are and make us who we will become. Holy, righteous. Give us a deep passion, confidence that in this world that is falling apart, we of all people should be more exuberant, less fear, more hope, joy, more passion. Because you, Lord Jesus, came all the way out of heaven to free us from our sin. In Jesus' name, amen.